Hey, good morning and welcome. My name is Brian. Uh, happy Sunday. It's great to have you here today. Too bad we can't be in person, but we can still uh, study the Word of God together, encourage one another, lift each other up in prayer, and stir each other up towards love and good works. Today, we're going to look at some of the final verses, or the final verses, in the Gospel of Luke. I've harmonized it with several other accounts. Uh, we're primarily looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, which is Luke's second book that he wrote. Uh, we're going to take a look at the time period between Jesus's resurrection and his ascension, which is about 40 days, is what we're told in the scriptures. We're going to look at the command that he gave the church called the Great Commission. And we're going to do a quick survey through the book of Acts. Yeah, I know, that sounds like a lot. Uh, to figure out whether or not the church succeeded in that mission. And so here we go. Let's jump right in. So Mark 16, verse uh, 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven, themselves, uh, the eleven themselves, as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And so this is after the resurrection, still on that Sunday, and he's already appeared to multiple people, but there was still this slow-to-believe attitude that many of the disciples had. And Jesus is more than happy to prove himself to us through miracles, through his word, right? Through the words of the prophets, through his resurrection, to validate the claims that he had made. But there comes a point where the human heart is resisting God's will for our lives, and uh, Jesus is in the right place and authority to correct that sort of attitude. And so how does he respond to them? Well, in Luke's account, it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, that Jesus spent the majority of his time in this season teaching them from the Bible, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Uh, that this was the thing that was most important to his ministry. And so he opens their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day raise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so you might notice I've highlighted a bunch of different things here. So the blue is representing God's working, whether through Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, or his word. Uh, the yellow is going to be the work that he's expecting his apostles and disciples to do. The orange are the places that he sends them. And the green will be the response of people like us who have chosen to follow Jesus, to receive what he's offered freely to us, and to believe in his name as the one, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who frees us from our sin. And so we're going to look at those themes kind of throughout all of these passages. And so he says that this message, this repentance for the forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in the name of Jesus, right? He's the only one through whom we can be saved. And it should be proclaimed to all the nations that God was not going to merely work through one family, one tribe, one nation. No, this invitation is to all the world, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that God invites all people, he desires all people to reach repentance and experience life and freedom in him. 
And so that's where the message needs to go. But he chooses to partner with humans, with us, instead of just right, writing it in the stars and in the skies, uh, sending angels as messengers. He chooses to use humanity and partner with us, co-labor with us in spreading this message of hope that all of it, uh, right, is done in collaboration with him, his word, and the Holy Spirit. So he says this, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. And so we're going to figure out what is the promise of my Father. God's promised a lot of things, and he always keeps his promises. But what is Jesus referring to in this? And so that was Luke's account there. We're going to jump over to his other book in Acts. And so he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, the person who he's writing these books to, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so notice this distinction that I'm making between yellow being the apostles and green, which we haven't seen yet, being believers and uh, trying to distinguish which of these commands are for us, right? Which of these gifts were only for them and meant for all people, all believers that would choose to follow Jesus? And so that's one of the things that we're going to try to tease out in these passages because you could land on a couple different spots uh, or interpretations of, of the text. But notice that in Luke's account, he says that Jesus gave commands, all right, that, that he's expecting us to do something with his word, that we don't simply receive the gift and then sit and and not do anything with it. We don't merely enjoy a relationship with him, but no, we are expected to obey Jesus, that he's worthy of our obedience, of our worship. And so Luke summarizes that Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. It says, now... Uh, so during this time period, I'm trying to harmonize these accounts. So this is in Matthew. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. All right. And so the day he rose from the dead, he told them, uh, right, go to Galilee. I'll meet you there. And so part of this time period there, they head north from Jerusalem, uh, and hang out in Galilee. And when he saw them, uh, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And so notice that Jesus, unlike angels throughout the Bible, unlike humans, right? Even the apostles are worshipped as gods at one point, as a city was very confused and thought that they were some of these gods. Uh, they reject that worship, right? The right response for someone who is not God when worshipped is to turn it away and to direct it towards the right location. Uh, and so the apostles, angels, they refuse to receive worship. But Jesus doesn't. He receives this worship, right? He's, this would be blasphemous if he were not God. And so some of the disciples worship him at this point. Like they've come to the point of belief and conclusion that he is worthy of their praise. But others still doubted. And it's possible Matthew is still summarizing this experience, right, over this 40-day period, including like in John chapter 21, I think, uh, it talks about uh, the, that interaction that Jesus has with Thomas, where he doubts and goes like a whole week when the rest of the disciples had seen Jesus, but he hadn't. Uh, and so it's possible that 
Matthew is summarizing that experience. And so while some doubted, uh, back in Acts, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Okay, and so Jesus was willing to provide evidence. Uh, God is pleased by faith, but it's not blind faith that he's looking for. He's looking for evidential faith, right? Sufficient reason to believe and trust and follow him. Uh, appearing to them uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so multiple times Jesus appears risen from the dead. Multiple times he proves who he is, that he's the same Christ, the same Jesus who was crucified and is now alive. Uh, and he presents himself to multiple people and audiences. And uh, the Apostle Paul, who is a latecomer to the faith, right, he's one who was persecuting the church. He writes about it in, uh, oh, I might have the wrong reference here. It might have been 1 Corinthians 15. I believe it is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, right, Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one that had been foretold in the Old Testament uh, about his coming and the mission that he was coming to accomplish, he died for our sins, right, in accordance with the scriptures. So Christianity wasn't some, like, new idea where they were just making up a whole story. No, it was in a succession of the narrative of what God had said was going to happen. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, once again, in accordance with the scriptures. So we shouldn't merely believe whatever claims someone set, has when uh, when they might declare that they have some supernatural experience. That we need to test the spirits, right? We need to even question if an angel were to come to us with a different gospel, a different story. Uh, and so we should reject those things. But when God is at work and it's in agreement with the scriptures, that's something that we would receive and believe is the right response. All right, so Paul says that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, uh, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And so Paul writing this to the church in Corinth, he's inviting a degree of investigation and criticism. Uh, Paul encourages that sort of thing, uh, that when he says something, he wants you to study it out in the scriptures. When he's saying, hey, people saw the living Jesus, he's saying, you could go ask some of these apostles. You could ask some of these brothers who are still alive. Over 500 people saw him in, w in one moment. It's possible that that moment was talking about uh, maybe closer to the ascension. Uh, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so he's talking about the road to Damascus, uh, Damascus experience that he has. I think it's in Acts 8 and 9 that he kind of summarizes those things. And then he says this to the church, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Okay, and so we're seeing kind of this interaction. Jesus had taught and commanded, in fact, uh, that we should proclaim the repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name. And so these witnesses had all been proclaiming and declaring the same thing. And the right response is to believe it, to receive this message, to live out your life as though it is true. And so I want to point out that I highlighted in yellow here a number of, of the disciples, the apostles, 
Uh, but in green, notice that Christ died for all of our sins, not just the apostles, uh, that all of us should respond by believing, and that he appeared to more than 500 brothers. So it wasn't just a select few that he'd appeared to. Uh, we all are invited to experience the risen Jesus at work in our lives. Let's see. So back to Acts chapter 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Okay, and so at one point they traveled north to Galilee, and now they're back in Jerusalem. And he's giving them some new instruction at the end of that 40-day period. Uh, or in Luke's account it says, but stay in the city. He's referring to that. Uh, and in, in uh, <clears throat> right, do not depart from Jerusalem in Acts, but wait for the promise of the Father. And so there's that language again. Let's figure out what that would be referring to. Or in Luke, until you are clothed, right, enveloped, wrapped with power from on high. And so this seems to be describing that promise of the Father, but the promise that the Father has is not merely some impersonal force or power, we'll find out. Which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, right? John the Baptist uh, was baptizing people with water for the repentance, the remission of sins, right? People realizing they were living lives wrong, and they're like, I need to make a commitment to, to live for God. And so John baptized people with water. He says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so it seems like maybe he's talking only to the apostles. So I said the you will there, I highlighted in yellow. Maybe some might argue only the apostles have this encounter and experience. But he's saying you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, that it's the, the promise of the Father, the uh, power from on high is, like I said, not an impersonal force, but it's the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling in believers. Those who receive this message, those who have been made right with God, can now become the temples of the Holy Spirit. And then he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so they are, in accordance with the scriptures, considering, like, Jesus, are you going to establish your kingdom on the earth, like we read about in the prophets, right? They're, they're still hoping to see him overthrow the Roman Empire. They're still hoping to see him establish his kingdom on the earth, in which all things are made right. Uh, but this is how he responds. He says, uh, he said to them, it is not for you to know, right, whether the apostles or believers it's not for us to know that. There are many things that we would like to know that we don't. And there's many things that God considers important for us to know that sometimes we set aside as being like insignificant. Uh, but Jesus told us the things that are necessary and sufficient for us to have faith in him and to accomplish the mission that he's given us. And knowing when he's going to accomplish this, it's not for us to know. Uh, the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's like, that's not, not what you need to know. But what you do need to know is this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, so the power of God uh, will be at work in the lives of, at least at this point, the apostles, when God's presence, God's Holy Spirit is operating through them. 
He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus once again kind of gives them this mission that you are to be witnesses, just to testify to what is true is their primary objective. And they're going to testify to an audience that is broad, that is all nations, that all people are invited to hear, and that they're not alone in their mission, that God's Holy Spirit, his presence will be at work in them, right, with power, demonstrating the fact that their message is true. And so let's see, back over in Matthew, I I plug this in here, and you can feel free to disagree as far as how I sequence these events. Uh, I think this is one plausible way that it could have occurred. Uh, but there are multiple ways that this could happen in, without contradicting itself. Uh, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so the Jesus we serve is not some humble carpenter, is not merely some rabbi or good teacher. He is the one who has authority over all of creation. And so that changes our perspective when, when it comes to like accomplishing this great mission that he gives us, recognizing that uh, he has authority over all creation, right? Changes our perspective that we're not in this alone. We're not just some like little grassroots movement, but no, God himself is working to make this happen. Uh, and then in uh, Acts chapter 10, notice I resequenced here. Uh, Peter is recalling this particular season while he's preaching to a crowd. Uh, he says, but God raised him, that is Jesus, on the third day and made him to appear, right? Not to all the people. So he wasn't at, at uh, appearing to every person, every nation. He didn't reveal himself to Pontius Pilate or to, you know, the, uh, the high priests. Uh, he wasn't doing that. That wasn't his objective. He was, he was appearing specifically to people in groups that he'd wanted to, uh, as according to the Father. But he appeared to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, right? That God the Father had foreordained this to be the case, that he appeared to the right people. And so I put that in yellow just to indicate he didn't appear to every believer. He did appear to 500 at one time, though, uh, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And so during some of these appearances, right, Jesus then says, go, Therefore, and so here's the the command, the order that he's giving to them, uh, or in Mark's account, go into all the world. And so this is something for us to do, or or at least I put it in yellow here. I guess those those witnesses uh, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Uh, right, proclaim this message of hope, God's plan for redeeming humanity. Go into all the world, proclaim it to all creation is who this is for. And Peter, in recollecting, he says, he commanded us to preach to the people. So he didn't appear to all people, but he invites all people to receive this, this new life, this relationship that they can have with God. And Peter puts it in the category of command. And that's why I wanted to include that part, because sometimes like we're just like kind of like, oh, go, therefore, all right, like, I guess, like, maybe it's a good idea. But no, no, this is something that Jesus considers important. It is a command from someone who has authority over all creation, right? And Peter continues, he says, uh, Jesus told them to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So not only does he have authority over all creation, he has authority over life 
and death, the living and the dead. And he is the judge over the living and the dead. And so I don't get to be the judge as to whether someone lives right or wrong, right? You don't get to. We don't get to just make up our own moral standard. No, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the one who determines who has been made right and who is living in sin, in rebellion against him and the Father, right? And so Jesus is the one that defines that thing. We can't just make up our own version of the afterlife that we would like to be true because our own imagination has no power to actually kind of change reality. Uh, Jesus is the one that determines those things. And so that's why in accordance with the scriptures, when he declares something, it's significant as to whether we, we receive it or the other alternative is that we suppress it in our rebellion, in our unrighteousness. He says, so he commanded that we testify that he is the one in charge of everything. Uh, we also, uh, it says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through through his name. And so this is the way that we are saved, right? In, in agreement with what Jesus said earlier, uh, that we should proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that we turn from living life our own way. We turn to trust and in faith follow Jesus, believing that he can make us right. That everyone who believes, so this invitation does not merely go to the apostles. This goes to everybody. And it's his desire that everybody hears this message. Okay, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. So he's the judge of the living and the dead. He's the one that determined that this is the way that we're made right. Believing and receiving. Or in Mark's account, he says, whoever believes, and this is quoting Jesus, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Right, so forgiveness of sins is another way of saying saved. Uh, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, right? And you might be like, well, who gives, what gives you the right to say that? I, I have no right, but Jesus said it. And Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the one that gets to determine that. And now we just have to decide, do we believe it? Do we respond appropriately? Uh, John 3 describes kind of a similar type of logic that I think is helpful. <clears throat> it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. All right, so if you believe you're saved, you're forgiven, you no longer are guilty, you're no longer receiving condemnation for the wrong that you've done, right? But whoever does not believe is condemned already, okay? We all have sinned, right? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so all of us are worthy of condemnation. It's just a matter of whether or not we're going to receive the forgiveness, that Jesus makes available because he is not. Uh, and the reason they're condemned already is because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so back to, uh, to Matthew, right? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay. Make disciples of all nations. So the command was going out to those who were listening. The command was given to, to Peter and others. Uh, and their responsibility was to go into all the world and make Disciples, disciples, people other than them. And who are the disciples? The people who believe, the people who receive the message become disciples. Uh, but they're not simply believers in a message. They're also disciplined followers 
of Jesus. They don't become right because of their good works, but once they come in to God's kingdom, once they experience his mercy and forgiveness, now they are seeking to live a life aiming to please him. And so the way you make disciples, you might be like, how does that happen? Well, it's the whole proclamation, this message that goes forth is how it's accomplished. And then it was also the responsibility to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? That we, uh, the baptism, and people have argued whether or not is baptism necessary for salvation. Uh, the classic uh, counterexample would be the thief on the cross who trusted in Jesus, who didn't have an opportunity to be baptized, but who Jesus said that very day he would be with him in paradise. And so it seems to hinge primarily on the receiving, believing, repenting kind of peace. But if you have opportunity, the right response of disciples is to be baptized, right? And so this was part of the command uh, that disciples, right, demonstrate their faith in Jesus by, by being baptized in his name. And then check this out in Mark's account. It says, and these signs, so signs, uh, miracles, wonders, the Bible describes, uh, they're not for the purpose of their own entertaining flair. They're a sign that points to the fact that the message is true. And so it says these signs will accompany those who believe. And notice that I didn't put that in yellow. So it's not that these signs only would accompany the apostles. No, it's it will accompany those who believe, those who've received this message, who have become disciples of Jesus. And notice it says they accompany them. So though the disciples of Jesus, we aren't seeking after signs. They just happen as we're about our business, about seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, that these, these types of things can and do occur. Uh, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. Or actually, I think, let me get some of the punctuation here. These signs will accompany those who believe. And I, and I originally was going to think that in my name they will cast out demons, which is accurate. But I think the in my name piece might, and rightly so, I, I could support it with other scriptures, apply to all of these things that we're doing in the name of Jesus. Okay, in my name they will cast out demons. They'll have authority over the principalities and powers on the earth. Uh, they, in my name, they will speak in new tongues, right? And we see moments like that happen in Acts chapter 2 and described in 1 Corinthians 12 as well as 14. Uh, we see that kind of discussed and described in the New Testament. They will pick up serpents with their hands, all right? Uh, it's possible that that's talking about a particular experience like uh, Paul ends up having later on in Acts when he's bitten by a snake and he doesn't die. Uh, it's also possible that that serpent is describing, once again, the authority over demons, right? Casting out demons. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And so I would point out, don't drink deadly poison. Uh, but it's kind of like an if, like an unintentional thing, uh, that they even had ability and authority over, over that. That those who believe in the name of Jesus would have at times God's miraculous power displayed through them. And then it even says that they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so this is not limited merely to the apostles. This is for those who believe, right? And we also have other scriptures in the Bible that describe the fact that these things are not merely for the apostles. In James chapter 5, it says those who are sick 
should go to the elders of the church, people who were not the apostles, and be prayed over, and that the right uh, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, uh, sort of thing, that like, in that moment, God is still working, his Holy Spirit is still going to be able to operate through those who believe. And it's done in his name, in the name of Jesus, not for our own fame, not for our own glory, but there are signs pointing back to the fact that this message is true. The bigger deal is not the miracles. The bigger deal is this message of the gospel that's being proclaimed. Forgiveness of sins is the bigger deal. Uh, verse 20 in Matthew 28, uh, Jesus says that those who are being sent into all the world are to teach Right, So that not only are they proclaiming this message of the gospel, this good news of, of what Jesus came to do for us, but they're also to teach those who believe, uh, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, and so uh, this is where we kind of get like for our church, uh, we've got the mission of make, mature, and mobilize as far as Make disciples, mature disciples, and mobilize disciples. Go is the mobilize part. Go into all the world. Making disciples is the, I guess I pointed at the wrong finger there, uh, is the um, proclaiming the gospel where people believe and receive and become followers of Jesus. But the maturing disciples part is often overlooked. It's not like our encounter with Jesus is this one moment and then we go and live life our own way. No, we are to teach uh, and we are to observe, we are to keep the things that Jesus commanded us to do. That followers of Jesus should follow Jesus in their lives, right? That we are, we are to obey him. Uh, and so Jesus commanded things, and the fact that he has authority, the fact that he is the judge of the living and the dead, he's worthy of our worship and our obedience. Uh, and so that's part of this command that Jesus gave to the apostles, to the church. Uh, and so he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so what I want to point out is this mission is bigger than us. We cannot accomplish it on our own. But fortunately, we're not alone in this mission. That Jesus is at work in his church, through and among his people, in order to make this happen, right? We're not by ourselves. He is with us to the end of the age. And I put you there in green. He's not talking about the apostles because the apostles are no longer here. They didn't make it all the way to the end of the age. This is a promise that he's given for you and I to enjoy and be assured of as well. He's still working in us, right? He is still going to accomplish his mission on the earth. All right, so then uh, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, then jump into Acts 1 again, uh, and when he had said these things and lifting up his hands in Luke, uh, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So that was from Acts. Uh, Mark says he was taken up into heaven, or Luke says he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. Uh, okay, and so this is the ascension, this moment where Jesus leaves, right? He's with them to the end of the age, but he's not going to be with them in the way that perhaps many of us would have liked. But Jesus says it's actually better for him to go 
because he's sending the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I like Mark's account where it includes this other piece. All right, Jesus did not merely just die for our sin, uh, then to be ignored. But no, in Mark it says it includes the fact that he sat down at the right hand of, of God. Right, once again, linking that to the authority that he has, that he is the judge of the living and the dead, uh, that he rules and reigns over all creation right now. And so this is worth pointing out, like, Jesus has authority, okay? Uh, and while they were gazing into heaven, so this is back in Acts 1, uh, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So, so like, the disciples are just, like, looking up, like, wow, like, this is crazy. And then two angels show up and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so there's once again this promise, Jesus is coming back. Jesus will return. And so what was their response in Luke uh, 24:52? And they once again worshiped him, right? They recognized Jesus as God, as worthy of worship and praise. They did not merely look at him as, as a wise teacher. Uh, and they returned to Jerusalem. So they heard the command to stay and remain in the city. And so they do that. Uh, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, right? They're excited about the fact that Jesus has ascended, uh, right? That, that, that he's accomplished all that uh, he'd done in those last 40 days, that he's raised from the dead, uh, and then he's given them this mission. And they're, they're excited. They don't feel the same sense of loneliness and sorrow and grief that they did after he was crucified. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. And so not only were they in Jerusalem, but they're actually now in the temple courtyard every day. And they're just praising God, blessing God, worshiping God for all that he had done. Because this is like this huge pivotal moment in, in all of human history where God had visited humanity. God had made a way for us to be saved. And he'd accomplished that mission. And like mission is done. He is seated now at the right hand of the Father. Like, mission is accomplished. And then in Mark's account, it includes this other piece. <clears throat> and this is, I think, a summary of a lot of the rest of the New Testament. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And so once again... Uh, they obey the message. The, the disciples, the apostles, they go everywhere. They proclaim this message of repentance and hope and belief and salvation and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And they're not alone in the message, right? They're, Jesus himself is working with them and confirming the works, uh, the, the message through these miracles. And so once again, the, the, the mission was not to go out and perform signs and wonders. The mission was to proclaim the gospel, and then signs and wonders follow that type of activity. And so uh, Mark summarizes it very briefly here, right? They went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them. Uh, and I want to just quickly do, and, and I realize, like, I've got my timer going over here, uh, look at some of the book of Acts. Like, did the church succeed in the mission that Jesus gave them? And, and what was the thing that they were doing that made them successful? 
because it's easy for us to get distracted, right? It's easy for us to want Christianity to be something different or to, to satisfy some desire that we have. It's easy for us to, to want to change and rearrange what we would like church to be about. But that's not what they did in the early church. Jesus gave a very clear uh, mission and command for them to keep. And let's watch what they actually did. Right? So Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so once again, the Holy Spirit, the power of God was not merely for the apostles, but for all who are repenting and believing and experiencing the forgiveness of sins that Jesus alone can offer. And he says, for the promise is for you, the people who are hearing him, uh, for your children, the next generation, and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so that includes us, that if we today decide to become followers of Jesus, we too can experience forgiveness. We too can experience the Holy Spirit working in and through us to, to continue this work uh, that he's given to us. And so those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so I want to point out, notice they repent, they receive, uh, they devote themselves to the teaching, right? Because Jesus had told them, uh, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so this is the response of disciples of Jesus, right? That we receive the salvation that he gives. We receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then we devote ourselves to living a life aiming to please him, aiming to do the things that he's commanded. And when we fail, the good news is that there's forgiveness of sins. His mercy is new and available for us, that we can boldly go to his throne of grace uh, in time of need. And so that was Acts 2. In Acts 5, it says that every day in, temple, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Uh, or in Acts 6, when they summoned, uh, the, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, they ended up having this issue with people's needs being met. Uh, but they said this, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They still delegated, they, they made choices to make sure that those needs were being met. But they realized that the message, the, mis the mission that God gave them was to proclaim, to teach the word of God, the gospel, right? That we don't want to confuse it and make the church into something that merely is trying to accomplish humanitarian aid. Although the church should be doing those things. All right, even in Galatians, the apostles remind Paul of that, like, hey, make sure you care for the poor. Okay, but the primary mission is not those things. We can't let any other thing distract us from the primary thing that Jesus told us to do. Uh, in Acts 8, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. So at this point, they were still staying in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so what I want to point out about this is notice that they were all scattered except the apostles. That means the people like us who were not apostles, who were not necessarily direct eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, who were not authors of scripture, but they were scattered. And verse 4, it said that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And it worked. Okay, and so I want to point out that, yes, Jesus commanded specifically the apostles. 
But those who are disciples of Jesus are also going to participate in bringing this message to others. Right? They went to the, uh, Philip was one who went uh, down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Uh, that they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And there were baptized both men and women. Uh, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, this is once again all people, not just uh, Philip in this instance, um, they returned to Jerusalem and still preached the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, and so all believers are participating in the Great Commission. It's not merely for the apostles. Okay, in Acts 9, uh, it talks about Paul and his encounter, uh, and that he was in Damascus preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, and that when Barnabas brings him to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, he then is, he leaves there, and then he's preaching in Jerusalem in the name of our Lord. In Acts 10, uh, that uh, Peter then summarizes the fact that Jesus commanded them to preach uh, the gospel. And he's doing this to a crowd in that very moment and telling them that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead and that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In Acts 13, they uh, went down to Seleucia and Cyprus and Salamis and Paul and Barnabas. They're proclaiming the word of God sent out by the Holy Spirit. So God is working with them as they're going and they're doing this thing. And the, the proconsul of Paphos, of this uh, the, this city in the on the island of Cyprus, he, how does he respond to the message? Believed when he saw what had occurred, this sign that had occurred. Uh, for he was astonished, not just at the sign, but at the teaching, what was being proclaimed about Jesus uh, is what had brought him to the point of belief and salvation. Uh, and so, once again, uh, this proclamation in Antioch and Pisidia, this is Paul and Barnabas, uh, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And so this is once again important. The church does not go about teaching to do good works. The church is not focused on signs and wonders. The church is not focused on on moral living as a means to be saved because there's no amount of law keeping of keeping the law of Moses that would ever produce the freedom that you and I can experience in Jesus. It's only through him that we can be saved, right? There's no amount of good that I can do to outweigh the bad that I was worthy of condemnation for. Okay. And so this is what we've got to be aware of. Acts 14. So they remained now in Iconium and for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness uh, to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders. So the Lord is working with them to be done by their hands. And then they're in Lystra and Derby and Lyconia, and Paul and Barnabas continue to preach the gospel. That it's, it's all hinged on this message that Jesus told them to proclaim. And then they'd re, uh, when they'd preached the gospel to that city in Derby and had made many disciples. How do you make disciples? It's in teaching this message. It's, it's, it's that simple. This is why I wanted to do this quick survey because we can get so distracted. We can fail to do the thing that God's calling us to do. I fail to do the thing that God's calling us to do. It's easy for us to focus on different things or to, to fall into comfort, living life for us, like building our own little kingdoms. But the message is the same. The, the mission is the same. 
the command is the same, and we are the ones who are called to fulfill it. And it's simple. Proclaim the gospel. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, he died for our sins, and there's when we receive, when we believe in him, we can be saved. We'll not be under any more condemnation, that we can enjoy relationship with God, and he'll send us out working through us. In verse uh, 22, I wanted to point this out, that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. All right, and so here's the maturing part. Here's the teaching them to observe part. They weren't merely interested in this one-time experience where people come to trust in Jesus, right? They also strengthened and encouraged disciples. Continue in the faith. Remain in the faith. Live your life seeking after Jesus. That it's not this one-time moment. And then beyond that, they, they also, in verse 23, they'd appointed elders for them in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so this is where the work is more than just for the apostles, right? They establish elders in every church to continue to be teaching the church, equipping the church for the work of the ministry. In Acts 15, uh, Peter teaching, he said that uh, uh, he had felt that God had called him, right? God made a choice among you that by his mouth, the Gentiles, those who were non-Jewish, uh, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. This is the right response to Jesus, right? You need to decide for yourself. Do you receive what Jesus did for you? When you hear this message of hope, do you believe it? Are you, that's the response to the gospel. Everything hinges on the gospel in what Jesus had accomplished and whether or not we receive it. Or 16, Paul in Macedonia, uh, received, he, he receives this vision about Macedonia, and he concludes, God must have called me to preach there. Preach what? The gospel, right? The gospel doesn't change. The location, the means through which God leads them changes. Sometimes they're scattered because of persecution. Sometimes they're logically trying to come up with what their own determination would be a good strategy for which cities to go to. And other times, God's giving them dreams and visions of like, hey, you need to go here. Either way, like God is working with them as the message goes forth. In Thessalonica, uh, Paul spends time on Sabbath days explaining and proving, right? So it wasn't just proclaiming and teaching, but he's like willing to kind of like reason with people uh, to, to help them get over hurdles and stumbling blocks to get to Jesus, right? And proving to them that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that God sent to the world to save us. And in Berea, uh, the Jews there, when they'd heard this, they received the word once again. And then they, with all eagerness, examined the scriptures daily to see if this was true. Right? So we're not encouraging you to just like believe any sort of hokey sort of supernatural experience. No. Right? Determine whether or not this is true. Uh, Paul reasoned in the synagogue of Athens and in the marketplace every day. So it wasn't just preaching and proclaiming, but he's willing to, to kind of interact with people. And he's doing this where? Throughout the world. In this case, he's in Athens. The places that he reaches within Athens are some of the religious communities. And sometimes it's just the marketplace, right? It's, it's, it's 
all of us are invited to participate in this mission and the places where it's done might not be a church, right? I mean, well, I guess, I mean, right now, like I'm preaching in the schoolroom in my house, uh, right? But even in the marketplace, God's going to be working with you through you to bring this message to the world. And we've got to decide, are we going to obey Jesus and the command he's given us, right? And that's a challenge to me, right? Realizing like, God, am I being faithful to bring this message to, to others, right? And he was preaching what? Jesus and the resurrection, uh, people believed in the Lord. Many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Okay, the Lord even gave him an, another vision saying like, hey, I'm with you. Do not be silent. Do not be afraid. There are many people in the city of Corinth that are going to be my people. And Paul stayed there and taught the word of God among them for a year and six months. And then here's a non-original uh, apostle anyway. Some people might put him in the category of apostle. Apollos, someone who is in Ephesus and is an eloquent man, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he uh, spoke and taught accurately to other people about Jesus, right? And so more than just the apostles participate. Uh, Paul, once again in Ephesus, taught in public and from house to house, uh, speaking to both Jews and Greeks, multiple cultures, for the repentance toward God. Right, repentance is to change your mind, to to turn. Okay, so we're not just turning from sin; we're turning toward God. We're not just right. And another way to say believing in Jesus is to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to point out, like this is this other different language, but it's describing the same thing. It's the same message, right? God doesn't want us to come up with some new creative idea. The message is the same. And then Paul, uh, kind of concluding about his life, and he's knowing that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to die for his faith in Jesus. He says, I don't count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so it's easy for us as believers in our generation to just live lives for ourselves, but we need to conclude that obeying Jesus is more important than building our own kingdom, right? We need to conclude that our lives in themselves, even preserving our lives, is not as important as obeying Jesus if he directs us to go somewhere uh, as we faithfully obey the things that he's commanded us to do, namely testifying to God's grace and his mercy that he makes available to all people. And then in Acts 28, Paul's eventually under house arrest in Rome. And Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. He didn't exclude people. All people are invited to hear the message. And then they've got to determine whether or not they're going to respond. And what was he doing? He was proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so this is significant that you and I, are bold in our proclamation. This is the only hope for the world. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. It's only through Jesus. And Paul, uh, writing a letter to the Roman church, uh, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, this is what I want us to consider. The only hope 
is the gospel. The only means through which we can have salvation, that we can be taken out of condemnation, that we can experience forgiveness and relationship, uh, that we can have this life with God and this hope of an eternity with him. It's all hinged on the gospel. The apostles did not get distracted or sidetracked. <clears throat> they did not allow shame or persecution to, to hinder what they taught. They did not allow offense or riots or beatings uh, to cause them to step back uh, and to shy away from proclaiming, yes, what can be an offensive message, but is the only hope for the world, right? They did not let themselves get distracted with things like just merely teaching, uh, live good and you're, you're going to have, you're, you'll be fine with God. They didn't try to teach like, oh no, all religions are going to lead to God and eternity. They didn't focus merely on uh, loving our neighbors or humanitarian aid, right? The, the whole thing, the whole purpose for which the church exists is to point people towards Jesus, to go into all the world and proclaim this good news. And we still have that responsibility, right? I did this whole survey through the book of Acts. I probably missed a whole bunch, but I want to point out the church, the early church succeeded in their mission, that God himself was working with them, right? God was working through them, accomplishing all of these things. The book of Acts takes place over multiple decades, and they were faithful to obey what Jesus had commanded them. And now what I want to consider is, what about us? The apostles aren't here anymore, right? They've already gone on and stepped into eternity. What about us? Are we going to be faithful in our generation, right? Are, are we going to get sidetracked and distracted? Or will we stay faithful to the message that Jesus commands that we would proclaim and teach others about, right? Will, will we build our own kingdom or will we consider our lives worth nothing in comparison to aiming to please the Lord, right? Aiming to please the one who died for us and saved us. Right? Are we going to use the time, the breath that God has given us, the places that he's placed us to be faithful, to bring others to Jesus? And the way that that's done is simple. But I recognize, right, Paul mentions that there's the tendency, the temptation to be ashamed, to be hindered, right? To be embarrassed, possibly. That there's a tendency to respond that way, but we can't that we need to proclaim this message of hope to the world. It's the only means through which humanity can be saved. And the good news is, even though we don't have the apostles, right? even though we don't have the early church working with us, they faced a far more uh, dire circumstance. It was literally them against the whole world that had never heard about Jesus. And we've seen the fruit of their work and the fruit of the church since then, centuries later, that God continues to work in and through his people, reaching this world with this message of hope. And we've got to decide, not only do we believe it, but are we going to participate in this mission? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Uh, that you've preserved your word for us, that you have given us this, this means for us to be confident, that we don't have to doubt, uh, that we should not respond in disbelief, and, but we should recognize that you have, in fact, been 
raised from the dead, uh, that you have in fact died for our sins, uh, that you have been seated at the right hand of the Father, that you have authority over heaven and earth, and that, Lord, you are one who is worthy of our worship and worthy of our obedience. Forgive us, Lord, when we've failed. Forgive us when we've been ashamed, Father God, to proclaim this message. Forgive us when we've been distracted or, or entangled with the cares of this world or allowed ourselves to, be, uh, to stumble in our own sin. I pray, God, that you would empower us this day as we hear your word, as we see the way you've been faithful for generations to work through your church to accomplish this mission, uh, that we too would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that we too would experience your working in and through us, that we would be faithful to walk out the good works that you've called us to do. We pray, God, that you would meet us where we are. Lord, that you would send us out into our community as a light to this world, in whatever way possible, that, Lord, we would proclaim hope to this world, that there's no other means through which we can be saved, that, Lord, you alone are the judge of the living and the dead. But fortunately, even though all of us were worthy of condemnation, you bore our sin to make forgiveness available to us. And encourage us, give us opportunity to bring this hope to others today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We love you guys. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Let us know if you have needs that we can help meet and uh, encourage one another. Right? Read the word of God. Fill yourself with the scriptures that you would be equipped for every good work. Take care.